This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 233 of The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Take out a voluntary subscription at thebuglepodcast.com now. And what a delight it is to be here in London. Seriously, we're not kidding. Where the sun is shining, the birds are shitting, almost certainly. That's just one of the things about London. Whatever you're up to, you know that somewhere a bird is crapping on someone's car. Makes you think, doesn't it? And in bird-free New York City, where the only thing that shits on pavements is Wall Street. Yeah, take that. It's the Krakatoa Krakatoa of comedy, the Mount Pinatubo of pastiche, the Santorini of satire, the Mount St. Helens of massively striking hilarity, the Etna who'll get you with his laughter lava, splurting his magma of mirth all over the Pompeii of pomposity and burying the Herculaneum of hypocrisy with his pyroclastic flow of pointed facetiousness. It's the vaudeville Vesuvius himself, John Oliver. Andy, you're writing checks I can't cash. (laughs) Uh, hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. But mainly, hello, Buglers. Why? Because, Andy, the Buglers have outdone themselves over the last seven days. First, the official merchandise went live yeah. last week, and we got inundated with so many orders, I think I just presumed it was sarcastic. <laughs> but it turns out people actually have a genuine desire for something physically worthless to symbolise their love for this philosophically worthless podcast. So... Thank you so much for your interest. It's definitely going to help keep us doing whatever this is for however long we can. (laughs) And secondly, uh, you may remember that we had a brief discussion last week about dating sites and the Bugle being signed up for Christian Mingle. And we casually expressed a concern that Buglers might sign up the Bugle email for another dating site. Well, if you had any doubts about the sheer calibre of people who listen to this, <laughs> then doubt no more, because within hours, the Bugle email address was almost brought to its knees after being signed up for, and here's the list, JDate, Atheist Personals, Africa Beauties, TotallyJewishDating.com, Single Book, which is apparently a German dating site called Single Book. <laughs> that does Beautiful not blend language. with TotallyJewishDating.com, does it? It's sure one or the other. doesn't. One or the it other. It sure does. Well, although the, I guess Totally Jewish Dating was kind of what they were going for. It's <laughs> not there. Anyway, uh, Freethinker Match, Atheist Passions, which seems oh, yeah. hugely creepy. <laughs> Mingle 2, meet single women in Grozny. That must have been my favourite. Clown passions, until that one became the favourite. Daily diapers, which is apparently adult fetish wear. Lion brand yarns, which is just yarn, but by this point I assumed it was some kind of yarn-based sex cult. It It didn't stop there though, John. Really? Because I can update you on that. We've now also oh, no. been signed up, not only to a site where we can get all the yarn we could possibly want, but also Amo Latina, which suggests that 62-year-old Lena from Paraguay could be right up our romantic alley. <laughs> OK, Cupid, and we've already had someone try to contact us through that. Scorpio's Lust oh, from good. New York City is that's big good. into the bugle. 23-year-old straight man. Might take a bit of work to make that one uh, work out for us. Blackpeoplemeet.com. Uh-huh. And that could have just dot com. Uh-huh. And that could have just been you signing up for that one. Uh, Nas- mm-hmm. The National Institute of Health. <laughs> that was, what? Uh, yep, the American National Institute of Health. Someone signed us up for their uh, their bulletins. Possibly uh, 
maybe it was automatically signed up based on the frenzy of global pansexual <laughs> carnal activity our dating activity <laughs> suggests we're about to undertake <laughs> and and this will be amishcrush.com uh-huh yeah uh, so uh, that's um, i mean you know clown, nice. clown passions and amish crush very much two yeah. two uh, ends of the romantic seesaw and these ones will be particularly uh, of interest to you aussiecupid.com and uh, rsvp.com which claims to be australia's number one dating site <laughs> so maybe it's a chance for us to build build bridges. <laughs> that is sensational work. I got I got an email from Chris about this when I was on a train back from DC with the list of everything we've been signed up for, and he just already sounded so tired in the email. And I laughed out loud on the train so hard that the person next to me asked what had happened, and I couldn't even begin to articulate what indeed had happened, how stupid it was, and why that somehow restored my faith in human nature. So I just said to this person, I can explain it to you, but I promise that it still won't make sense. And he actually seemed happy with that answer. So well played, Buglers. I doff my cap. Uh, regarding the merch, uh, it did uh, come up as sold out fairly quickly in what appears to be one of the uh, less successfully organised <laughs> commercial launches in history. But uh, that's now been rectified. The de- it might take a while for delivery, but uh, you can now order everything, theoretically, uh, if there's any problems. <laughs> contact us at the uh, info at, at uh, thebuglepodcast.com email mm-hmm. address and uh, <laughs> with our massive range of retail expertise, we will attempt to uh, <laughs> attempt to help out. But thanks to everyone who's bought uh, bought the merch so far. It's truly a great day for humanity. So, um, did you go to the correspondence dinner this year, John? I did. How was uh, how was that? It was, you know, it was socially awkward. <laughs> I've annoyed a lot of people in that room, Andy, and uh, it becomes clear why sometimes it's not a great idea to see the consequences of your jokes in person. <laughs> So this is Bugle 233, um, and uh, for the week beginning the 6th of May 2013. Now on the 5th of May 1953, that is uh, 60 years and a day ago, Aldous Huxley, the uh, celebrity uh, wordsmith, first tried the psychedelic hallucinogen mescaline. Now in his first trip he hallucinated that he lived in a country where everyone really wanted to own a badger, but there were no badgers left. Then a giant mummy badger came along on a boat and said, Hey everyone, I'm full of baby badgers, let me in. And everyone said, Yay, baby badgers. So the mummy badger was welcomed in and everyone got very excited what? as the mummy badger built a big nest saying, Yeah, they're on their way, I promise you baby badgers, and baby badgers you will get. Anyway, ten years later, the mummy badger still sitting there in an increasingly comfortable nest. Everyone saying, Where the f*** are our baby badgers? And the mummy badger said, You've already had them, I quit, and runs off her pantomime badger outfit falling off. As she goes, and they shout, You're not a mummy badger, you're a lawnmower on a Kawasaki 350. Lawnmower revs off into the distance, shouting, You welcome everyone, look after my little badger cubs, and it's never seen again. Bit of a weird trip. Anyway, the very next day, the 6th of May 1953, Tony Blair was born. Read into that what you will. <laughs> Andy, when, when, you, uh, when you said at the start of that, Aldous Huxley once took mescaline, did you yeah. mean to say, I just took peyote? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of, John, but sleep deprivation can very well have the same effects. Uh, 233, uh, Bugle 233, in current teenage slang, according to the internet and internet discourse, 233 is sometimes used instead of BFF to abbreviate best friends forever. The digits correspond to the number keys that would have been pressed on an old-style mobile phone. And that is very much how John and I view you, Buglers, our BFFs, (laughs) our 233s. And you can... 
further cement that status by taking out your voluntary subscription at thebuglepodcast.com. Best friends forever, buglers. Well, make sure you do it before we get to Bugle 439 and have to tell you to GF yourselves. And uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, it's a new audio part work series. This week, uh, the first instalment of Celebrities' Secrets of Success. Number one, Franklin Roosevelt's Bucket of Lobsters. <laughs> Roosevelt was renowned as one of America's greatest presidents, and he put much of that success down to his bucket of lobsters. Roosevelt took the reception of crustaceans with him wherever he went, and they became a valuable source of both companionship and advice. Ironically, as a young man, he used to eat loads of lobsters, but he had an epiphany during a big out at his favourite lobster bar, Snappy Lionel's Crustacea Carnagerie, Car- in 1913, when he thought that he heard the lobsters communicating with him in Morse code. Don't eat us, they seemed to clack with their claws. We can help you. He borrowed the restaurant's one remaining bucket, and thereafter, everywhere Roosevelt went, the lobsters went too, and their clickety-clacking helped shape modern America as we know it. With today's 24-hour media, of course, he couldn't have got away with it. People would have been saying, why should I vote for a guy who goes everywhere with a bucket of f***ing lobsters? No way would he have been president today. People might have been prepared to vote in a black man, a lunatic, a philanderer, a lunatic's dad, and a film star, but there's no way they'd vote in a guy with a bucket of lobsters. But it was the early 20th century, and the lobsters were there to stay. That's why he delivered his messages to the nation by a crackling fire, so people couldn't hear the clacking of lobster claws as they fed him wise, soothing words to relay to a troubled nation. The lobsters became increasingly influential in formulating his policies, but it came at a moral price. The famously prudish Eleanor Roosevelt banned them from having carnal relations with each other in the bucket, as she found the lob- as she found the sound of lobsters humping distressing and distracting from her prime hobby of plaiting bread. The lobsters reluctantly consented, until one day their pent-up lobsterone boiled over. Roosevelt didn't want them breeding uh, in case the Russians got hold of one of their offspring, so he said, All right, I'll sort you out a boys' night in with a stripper. Any other aquatic creature apart from lobsters? The lobsters as one clacked. New deal! New deal! And Roosevelt's plan to rescue America from the Depression was born, thanks to a bucket of perverted Randy Lobsters. And the reason Stalin always looks so awkward in those photos of him with uh, Roosevelt and Churchill at Yalta, well, you try looking relaxed for the camera when you've got a lobster clamped to your Soviet nutsack. All that in the bin this week! Andy, go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Top story this week, baby got hack. <laughs> uh, over, over the last week or so, there have been a series of high-profile computer hackings with responsibility claimed by the Syrian Electronic Army, which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, is exactly the same name as that synth-pop band that you were in in the mid-1980s. That's right, John, yeah, if, yeah. If, if I remember rightly, you wore a fluorescent yellow headband and played the guitar in a <laughs> pair of... Tight blue stonewashed jeans that had the Syrian flag sewn onto the arse. I'm pretty sure I'm not making that up. <laughs> no, yes, certainly. The photos are out there somewhere. Definitely yeah, right. Somewhere. So the Syrian Electronic Army is a group which is said to have the tacit support of Bashar al-Assad, uh, although that could not be independently confirmed, mainly because Syria is still a total f- mess at the moment. I mean, an unremitting <laughs> shit show. I'm talking about a f- catastrophe of the highest water. And... <laughs> Last week, uh, the SEA managed to hack into the Twitter account of the Associated Press and posted a message uh, that uh, two bombs had exploded at the White House, injuring Barack Obama. Then, all they had to do was just sit back and watch all hell break loose. The markets 
immediately, albeit momentarily, collapsed, temporarily wiping more than £90 billion from the US stock market. In the space of just three minutes, Andy, (laughs) after the hack tweet was posted, the benchmark S&P 500 index, which most people have heard of and almost no one understands, (laughs) fell nearly 1%, briefly wiping out $136.5 billion (laughs) of its value. I think the fact that all of that happened over a single tweet, Andy, should give us all a deep and lasting confidence in our financial system. <laughs> it's, it's somehow reassuring to know that the global financial system can be brought to its knees in less than 140 characters. It's, it's progress in a way. It's just the same kind of progress that Thelma and Louise made as they drove faster and faster towards the edge of a cliff. <laughs> well, then, of course, it bounced back, John. But was this due to people realising that the tweet was a fake? Or was it simply the prospect of a looming catastrophe? Because <laughs> three minutes, John, as we've discovered on this podcast, is about the market's standard minimum decency period after a tragedy of some kind before they think, well, there's no point crying over spilt blood. There's money to be made. It's what the dead would have wanted. And once again, it does raise the alarming realisation that the entire global economic system is not vulnerable so much to the threats of terrorism or natural disasters, uh, Mother Earth's own involuntary terrorism, if you will, The entire global economic system is vulnerable to a well-placed piece of bullshit, which raises the question, (laughs) how the f*** am I not a billionaire, John? What the f*** am I doing wrong? I should be working this game. You are uncut bullshit, Andy. You are distilled. I guess the thing is, the bullshit has to be believable. You're you're right, fellas, it's not about the money, it's about the art. Point taken, it's also about the honeys. And some more perhaps. Yeah, and it's also about avoiding any sense of responsibility, reality, or genuine adulthood. I stand corrected, fellas. <laughs> Have some bacon. Hey, uh, lobsters don't eat bacon, honey. Uh, a, sec- a security expert. It makes them kosher, John. It cancels it out. <laughs> if you feed a non-kosher animal with non-kosher food, it's a double negative that becomes kosher. <laughs> take, take, any, any, take that up with God, come any judgment Any half-decent mathematician will tell you that. Take that up with God. He might just ask you to just spell yamaka. That's all. That's all he might. That's all he might require from you, Andy. The uh, a security expert explained why the financial freakout was so instantaneous, uh, saying high frequency trading bots are monitoring real-time news sources like press feeds and stock exchange notices. They then try to analyse whether the news is positive or negative. They'll automatically buy and sell stock accordingly. When the SEA hacked AP and posted the single fake tweet, trading bots saw crucial keywords from a highly authoritative source. Explosion, White House, Obama and injured, which was a strong sell. It took some minutes until human operators interceded and stopped the madness. (laughs) There's so much to unpick from that sentence, Andy. First... Trading bots. There's nothing more, more bone-chillingly terrifying about the phrase, is there? It turns out that trading bots, though, are actually a lot like human traders in that they both run on cocaine and prostitutes. <laughs> trading what? bot work hard. Trading bot play hard. <laughs> trading bot heading out tonight to sexually assault stripper bots. Uh, <laughs> I, actually, I actually think a trading bot computer trip probably has exactly the same level of conscience as your average Wall Street trader anyway, Andy, <laughs> but at least has the integrity to physically have a steely metal heart. <laughs> Do you know, if, uh, if you uh, record the words trading bot and uh, make a little kind of old-style record out of them and then just drag the needle backwards over it mm-hmm. on your record player, yeah. it says the words, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what? 
Also, the last line of that guy's answer is the most chilling there. It took some minutes until human operators interceded and stopped the madness. <laughs> That's basically the movie logline for War of the Worlds, Andy. <laughs> I think uh, we need to uh, try and um, extract the positives from this, John, try and find some mm-hmm. diamonds in the dung heap. And, um, and I think, you know, we can... Uh, we can work this to a more positive way. We just need to spread the kind of rumours that can be relied upon to ensure that the markets skyrocket. You know, positive rumours rather than rumours like this of uh, of a death that could destabilise the entire uh, politics of the world. Maybe a leaked memo about how the chief financial officer of the international megabank, Snutterbuck and Vork, has just successfully grown a diamond tree in his garden that grows pure 3,000-carat ready-cut rocks as big as a man's ventricle by burying his jewellery-loving wife and fertilising her with decomposing banknotes left over from the Weimar Republic. By my calculation, that diamond tree would would be worth uh, up to $500 billion worth of market capitalisation, whatever Mm -hmm. market capitalisation is. Uh, I think that's when the share price is so ridiculous they have to print it in capital letters. But um, (laughs) I I think, think, you know, we can can work this, John. We just need to start, start spreading... Lies. (laughs) Lies. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, if the whole of economics is based on bullshit anyway, then you might as well try and fight the bad bullshit with the good bullshit. That's basically yeah. that was Jesus's message in uh, that's well modern again, terms. again again. He'll just want you to spell Yamaka Andy. Okay, that's <laughs> that's all he's going to want to do. Uh, the the FBI well, you don't of course spell it if it's on your head, John. <laughs> <laughs> the, the FBI are, of course, currently investigating. Could Abraham Lincoln a... spell stovepipe? <laughs> Could he? F- <laughs> there's, a, there's a screen grab of the tweet online before it was taken down, and you can see that it instantly had 3,063 retweets and 144 favourites. Now, I don't want to tell the FBI how to do their job, Andy, but they may want to look, spend some time, investigating the people behind those 144 favourites. Because if you are favouriting a tweet about the president getting hurt in an explosion at the White House, you may be a person of interest at some point in the future. How's that even an instinct to hearing one of the most potentially shocking pieces of news in your lifetime? Oh, what's that? Blast inside the White House. President down. Put me down for like. Uh, And... As it turned out, uh, that particular tweet was just a hacky hors d'oeuvre for a tasting menu of tap tweetery from the Syrian Electronic Army, leading to all news organisations this week being officially warned by Twitter to tighten their security. Uh, The Guardian newspaper in the UK was hit this week, inadvertently sending a hack tweet that read, follow the Syrian Electronic Army, follow the truth. Uh, But my favourite hacking... Uh, was uh, uh, was when, for some reason, the SEA decided to attack the BBC weather Twitter feed. <laughs> I, I, d- I don't know why they were a target, but I'm frankly glad they were. Here are just some of the messages they posted. The first one was, Edinburgh storm warning station decommissioned after maintenance fund diverted to Syrian opposition. OK, you know... I- <laughs> I get that one, Andy. You know, it's it's topical. It's got a bit of weather in there too. <laughs> but from there, they seem to really settle into a rhythm. Another one was earthquake warning for Qatar. Hamad bin Khalifa about to exit vehicle. Boom, Andy. <laughs> That's got everything they want. A criticism of Qatar, who they're angry with, another bit of weather and a fat joke. Because to be fair, Andy, Sheikh Hamad bin Khalifa is of the larger persuasion. <laughs> That's why it works. Then... It just got downright weird. When BBC Weather tweeted, Saudi weather station down due to head-on collision with a camel. And at this point, (laughs) 
I think the SEA were just mainly having fun and enjoying the fact that for some reason they still hadn't been kicked off the server. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's basically sh- the kind of thing that you would tweet, Andy, if you hacked into the BBC weather feed. If? Uh, that, um, well, that's, uh, that's a kind of terrorism that I think we can all accept. That's, uh, they, uh, I mean, but, you know, the BBC weather forecast, I mean, that is, I think, you know, taking down the pillars of Western society one by one, that's hitting Britain where it hurts most, John. As you know, we're a weather-obsessed nation. I have been ever since the ice caps melted and we ended up separate from France. That's why we get so annoyed when it's cold. We just want to make sure that the ice caps don't come back. That's all we've, that's all we've got. That's all we've got. Uh, Vice magazine actually managed to conduct an email with someone claiming to be part of the Syrian Electronic Army and asked them if there was any particular English-speaking journalist that they don't like, to which their answer was, there are many, really, but any media company in the world has to know that it is a target for us when it reports false or fabricated news. Oh, shit. We're going to be a target, Andy. Because <laughs> that is essentially all we do. <laughs> and, uh, Buglers, I hope you realise the self-restraint involved in doing this whole chunk on uh, Syrian cybernuts taking over the BBC Weather Twitter account without once saying that there were going to be sunny spells. And that took, that took <laughs> determination. Sheer determination. Hello, White. Let's move on. CIA have got bags of money news now. (laughs) And uh, it emerged this week that tens of millions of US dollars in cash were delivered to the office of Afghanistan President Hamid Karzai for over a decade, dropped off in suitcases, backpacks and plastic shopping bags. (sighs) (laughs) What could possibly go wrong with a plan like that, Andy, other than absolutely everything? I mean, your potential failure rate is only, you know, an impressively meagre 100%. How how could that scheme be flawed when you're handing those bags of unmarked money to a country whose two main exports are heroin and sadness? How could it not work? Uh, Karzai told reporters um, that the Office for National Security has been receiving support for the past 10 years. Not a big amount, he said, a small amount. (laughs) <laughs> and this is where the words get really interesting, which has been used for, quote, various purposes. Now, when Hamid Karzai says money's been put to various purposes, that should set alarm bells ringing, like at the World <laughs> Campanology Championships. That is, that, that, he said the assistance has been very useful, and we are thankful to them for it. Well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Uh, that's lovely, isn't it? Absolutely the, lovely. Uh, the, money was, the money was supposed to buy influence for the CIA, but instead, and you, you're not going to believe this, Andy, it apparently fueled corruption and empowered warlords and undermined any attempted US exit strategy, or as they described those three things in Afghanistan, Wednesday. <laughs> uh, but these, these bags of cash demonstrate a clear new strategy for the US and Afghanistan, Andy. Rather than just throwing money at the problem, they've moved on to dropping money near the problem <laughs> instead. So let's not claim that their strategies have not evolved. Now, I caught... According to Khalil Roman, who was Karzai's chief of staff and, I imagine, literally also his bag man, uh, according to him, the Afghans called it ghost money, saying, we called it ghost money, it came in secret, and it left in secret. And that's not ghost money, Andy. That's ninja money. (laughs) Silently arriving, silently leaving, completely untraceable. Ghost money is something that disappears before repeatedly coming back to haunt you. Uh, Do you know what? He's right. It was ghost money. (laughs) And Hamid Karzai actually called it something different, similar to what you heard, Andy. He called that money multi-purpose assistance, which 
It's like the kind of euphemism that a massage parlour would give for a hand job. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's apparently got so bad that an American official stated this week that the biggest source of corruption in Afghanistan was the United States, and that is big praise, Andy, because almost any single object in Afghanistan is a potential source of corruption. <laughs> Somehow, even their boulders are on the take. <laughs> there was a report in uh, August 2011 that said that... Uh, as much as $60 billion in American funds have been lost to waste and fraud in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, over the last 10 years. So, I mean, you know, it, it's nice that at least we're giving some directly in cash because the problem with fraud mm-hmm. that goes through the books is you lose so much in commissions. At least it's going directly to where it is most needed for the purposes of corruption. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's uh, another thing on uh, Afghanistan. Um uh, Afghanistan, renowned as a terrific producer of opiate drugs, but until recently was not actually a major consumer. But that has all changed in the last 10 years. It now, and more than a million out of the 35 million population are now uh, addicted to drugs, which apparently is proportionately the oh. highest figure in the world. Now, um, where could they possibly have learnt this from? Uh, America has one of the world's highest rates of drug-related deaths. Britain has the highest drug abuse rate in Europe. So you're f***ing welcome, Afghanistan. At least, <laughs> let's look for the silver lining here, they've knocked Iran off the top spot. Yeah! yeah but take that, Ahmadinejad. <laughs> uh, an addict was quoted on a BBC report saying, buying heroin in Kabul is as easy as buying yourself something to eat. Um, still sounds quite difficult um, if you're in Kabul. Uh, but at least, John, you know, this is opening up Afghan society, as we promised you. This is giving the consumers what they want. At least they now have the choice of whether or not to annihilate themselves with lethal drugs. And women and children account for 40% of the country's drug addicts. So what? You know, even more than the choice, we are bringing gender equality to Afghanistan in the post-Taliban era. And, and we're bringing families together that have been traditionally torn apart by civil war. That's, I mean, it's... That is really the legacy that we wanted to leave in Afghanistan. and the That's en- a good point. Yep, the entire budget for uh, treating the country's one million drug addicts, and bear in mind that they've lost $60 billion to corruption uh, in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, the entire budget for dealing with a million drug addicts, $2.2 million. That's just over $2, $2 per addict per year. So in context, you might argue that isn't quite enough, maybe not quite <laughs> enough. Well, there's no more money, Andy, because it's being dropped off in cash yeah. plastic bags at Karzai's office. And, and th- I imagine that uh, also most Afghan drug dealers don't take credit cards, so who knows where that cash is going. <laughs> well, the reason these, these cash drops started was apparently... In 2010, Karzai admitted his office received cash in bags from Iran, but that it was a transparent form of aid that helped cover expenses at the presidential palace. He said at the time, United States made similar payments. So what happened was, in December 2002, Iranians reportedly showed up at the palace in a sports utility vehicle packed with cash, and the CIA then began dropping off cash from them at the palace the following month, and the sums grew from there. We were like two contestants on The Bachelorette, Andy, (laughs) desperately trying to compete to win the affection of someone who, deep down, we probably didn't even like, definitely don't know that well, and who we know we have no real future with, yet whose favour we are inexplicably willing to degrade ourselves for. America, I have really enjoyed my time with you this month. Will you accept this opium poppy? Oh, of course I will, you dangerously corrupt bastard. Come here. Someone is definitely getting some multi-purpose assistance later. (laughs)
It just seems crazy, Andy. You're giving the money to Hamid Karzai, a man who, if his previous behaviour is anything to go by, is just going to spend that money on heroin and hats. <laughs> Your emails now, and um, aside from the emails from dating sites that we've been getting, uh, which, uh, in a quick update, we've uh, also been uh, signed up for Anastasia Date, which I presume okay. is dating agency for people who uh, are allegedly part of the former Russian royal family but disappeared in mysterious circumstances, uh, and Muslima, Haray At, uh, and Passion Networks. So, um, I mean, it's all happening. It is all happening at, uh, at, at all started by Christian Mingle. And that's, uh, I think that showed how uh, a religion doesn't need to divide. It can bring people together. And uh, now we've been signed up to uh, two dating websites from uh, most of the world's major religions. That's, uh, that's a great day. I see an amazing rom-com coming out of this where you accidentally double book yourself onto a Christian Mingle and Muslima date. And I've got to pretend to be both in one nightclub with hilarious consequences. You see, you say that like it's a joke, Chris, but if you say that out loud on the west coast of America, you may find yourself (laughs) making that movie. No, you may find yourself making that movie. (laughs) Hi, Paul Rudd. (laughs) He's so likeable. Perfect (laughs) casting, Chris. You've shown you've got a good eye. Yes. Uh, Thanks to Casey, who took it upon herself to make uh, little illustrations for us. She describes them uh, sexy dating website profile pictures, which is basically women in bikinis with John's and my head superimposed, <laughs> which is frankly yeah. probably the creepiest thing I've ever seen. It's, it's pretty chilling. Yeah. I mean, we definitely look like serial killers. Yeah. It's certainly the creepiest thing I've seen since I actually saw John in a bikini. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one came in from Max in Florida, who writes, uh, um, Andy affecting my love life. Oh dear, I don't know the way this is going. Dear Andy, John and Chris, in order of influence on my love life, my Canadian girlfriend recently came to stay with me, so she needed to exchange some Canadian currency, so I took her to my bank. When she took out her bills, I couldn't help notice the smoking hot woman staring back at me. It was the Queen. I tried to control myself, but Andy's influence on me was too hard. I received a, ver- a few very awkward glances while I talked about how hot she was and how the bills were practically made to be sticking out of a stripper's G-string. Needless to say... My girlfriend was not that impressed. I may have to switch banks soon. <laughs> Sincerely, Max, in Florida. Well, you know, the Queen is what the Queen is. You know, don't That's fight right. it. Don't fi- when you've got that that kind of branding. Why not stick it on a banknote? That's what the. I mean, what are the Scots doing? Not having a Queen on their banknotes. That is. I mean, they just clearly don't trust themselves. Uh, we have another email here from uh, Dan, who says, Dearest Chris, John and Andy, in order of those who would have the potential vanity to use services such as mine. As a personal trainer, <laughs> I like to get through my worst and most painful workout on a Saturday by doing my heavy squats to your, to your splendiferous bugle podcast. I can't... What's a, a heavy squat? I can't believe... There's Wait. something about the, word, the phrase heavy squat, Andy. <laughs> squat which... after Friday curry. <laughs> Not that kind of show. It's not that kind of show, listeners. Well, this it's is, occasionally uh, that is, kind of show. Ah, this is high-end satire, John. Let's not forget that. Never forget. It's just, it's, it's just that the image of someone doing squats up and down, up and down while listening to this is very, very funny to me. Anyway, I, I, I get through my worst and most painful workout on Saturday by doing my heavy squats to your Splendiferous Bugle podcast to distract me from the focused misery of my workout. Up and down, up and down. <laughs> 
Anyway, work it, Dan. Uh, work it. Uh, work it. Come on, Dan. Squat. Squat up. Squat down. Squat up. Squat down. Uh, however, a moment of intense hilarity. I think we've both just demonstrated that neither of us have ever been to a gym or had a personal <laughs> trainer. <laughs> However, a moment of intentionality caused by the gigglage, courtesy of the penis de la Mars, caused me to LOL at a moment of maximum exertion, subsequently resulting in a torn muscle in my lower back, four days off work, and thus thus far a net loss of over £1,200. A birthday present was to be a voluntary subscription to your sales from my mother at a rate of £10 per month. Therefore, I will now be paying in 2023, no doubt, from a spinal rehab clinic. Thank you, Bugle, for making me both incredibly happy and yet unable to extricate my 16-stone carcass to perform even the most basic ablutions. Oh, dear. That is a problem when you've got some heavy squats to get Squat through. up! Squat down! Squat up! Squat down! Well, we can only apologise from the very tops of our hearts. Uh, that uh, <laughs> spine catastrophe was the subject on that email, which is uh, another nice. Feel, feel the burn, Dan. <laughs> feel the burn ripping all yeah. the way up your spine. You've hurt it again. If it, squat up, squat down. <laughs> if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. Uh, and this, uh, on a similar, uh, <laughs> I think the bugle is economically Andy, disastrous on should, any number of levels. Is, that is the ne- the next merch we should do. Andy is an exercise tape that is all yeah. just squatting. We're just squatting. Shouting into a camera. Squat up! Squat down! You can do that when you're hosting the Daily Show, John. See ya. <laughs> it may come to that. I think lunges <laughs> and burpees are both quite uh, bugly. Well, of course, we had the Queen's swearobics. We could uh, maybe. And f. And f. And f. And f. I forgot swearobics. That is very good. Never but we forget. actually could do an exercise tape, I think. <laughs> we could. Uh, this one comes in. How the bugle cost me £20,000 a year from Guy. Dear John, Chris and Andy, in the order you appear on the assassination list of the nation of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've done quite well with that. Yeah, you what have you done to that. piss them off, Chris? Why are you above me on that list? I just think it's my general demeanour. <laughs> you, you went out there during the last Ashes, didn't you? Maybe. I did. I, I helped England win the Ashes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That. That's all that's it. A few weeks ago, I was scheduled to attend a job interview, which could have seen my salary increase by £20,000. As this was clearly an important interview, I needed to decide what to listen to on the three-hour drive to best increase my chances. Possibly some learned documentaries related to the field. Maybe some soothing classical music to make sure I'm fully at ease. Now, of course, what you need for a job interview is to ensure your mind is full of premium-grade bullshit to ensure you have plenty to spout off when the time comes. I therefore decided to listen to back-to-back bugles for the drive. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of the bu- recent bugles I chose was the one where John was reading out tweaks from the Iron Shake, including <laughs> one, the one described as dis- distilling down the essence of marketing. Well, I thought if it works for selling T-shirts, surely it should work for selling myself. Thinking Uh-oh. a bit more, I decided it probably wasn't a good idea. But throughout the subsequent interview, the mental effort required n- to not just stand up and yell, give me a job or go f*** yourself, <laughs> meant I couldn't really concentrate on the questions being asked. It's now been several weeks and I haven't heard back from them. I therefore blame my subsequent failure to get the job on you at the Bugle and I'll be expecting a yearly stipend of £20,000 to be coming my way from your overflowing coffers. Um, so, well... Buglers, if you want us to be able to pay Guy the money he so clearly deserves, then uh, our coffers are not comp- not what you describe overflowing. So do keep no. those voluntary subscriptions coming in at thebuglepodcast.com and check out our SoundCloud page, uh, <laughs> soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle. And the merch is also available via the, uh, via the Bugle websites. And, you know, it's hard to imagine a world 
within a year or so where at least half the people are not wearing a bugle cap. <laughs> Makes you think. Uh, thanks for your emails. Uh, do keep them coming in. Info at thebuglepodcast.com Well, that's about it for uh, this week's Bugle. Uh, any Buglers who are going to uh, over this weekend to the Badminton Horse Trials, uh, do enjoy it. Um, it's the annual event where Britain's naughtiest horses face justice in uh, the four-day highlight of the equine legal calendar uh, offence. It's being prosecuted in a law-studded bill at the trials that range from unlicensed gnawing via galloping under the influence of sugar lumps to a sexual misconduct suit brought by two actors from a very disappointing pantomime. <laughs> That's all, Buglers. Until next week, please stop signing us up for dating sites. <laughs> We're already happily married to our beloved audience. We need oh, no more love. Nice, that's a lovely gesture, that's, isn't it? That's nice. Um, so stump up your fucking dowry, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Until next week. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.